Welcome. Good morning. Let's stand and worship God together. Sing with me. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break. His broken hearts declare his praise. Who can stop the Lord?
Let's sing it out. You give life. Hey, thank you for joining us today, and uh, I hope everybody stayed dry, or dry-ish, and uh, let's go ahead and pray for the service. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you for those that are here. Lord, I pray that you would make our hearts and minds moldable and pliable, Lord, for what you would have for us today, and it's in your name, Lord. Amen. All right, so obviously you're here for a reason, so let's live that reason out and find someone close to you that uh, hopefully you don't know, and uh, if you do know them, that's okay too, but if you don't know them, tell them hello. Well, good morning everybody from Kid Street as well. Just a reminder as you're returning to your seat that we'll have um, some more empty eggs out in the foyer at the end of the service so you can help the Easter Bunny out by filling those. We're going to have our egg hunt the day before Easter here on the grounds at uh, 12 o'clock. 
we'll have it socially distanced and uh, it'll be outside, so let's just pray for good weather so that we can uh, pull that off safely. It's good to see you all this morning. Do you guys go to art class at school? Yeah, you make things. Do you paint? Yeah. Do you make things out of uh, clay? Yeah. Have you ever used these things before? Pipe cleaners? Little pipe cleaners, yeah. Try to make something out of that. Look, I made a snake. Yeah. Oh, here's another one. Look, I made a worm. I could bend it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could, we could turn those into something if I knew how, right? If I, if, you know, so, you know, I don't know how. So, you know what I did? I Googled it, right? So, I've got stuff in here. Let's see. Hmm. Ooh, yeah. I made a candy cane. Anybody want that? Yeah, it looks like a reindeer. Good, I I did a good job. You recognized it. What's that? A heart? Yeah. Let's see what else I have in here. Oh, yeah, that just coming up, right? Yeah. You want to pass it? Okay. Mm, This is another holiday that's coming up. A bunny? Yeah. Here, pass it. Okay. Hmm. Glasses? Yeah. Anybody want those? (laughs) What else do I have? That's adorable. Oh, Bzz, what's a dragonfly? All right, pass that back to anybody who didn't get one. And my last one, what do you think that thing is? Yeah, he's all curled up like a snail. Whoop, there, he tried to escape. So in um, Jeremiah, well, if I had the Bible handy, I don't know. Jeremiah 18.6, it says, You are the potter, and I am the clay. Mold me, right, in your ways. So, you know, we have people that are skilled, they're artists. They can make stuff out of nothing, just paint and paper and clay, right? They're they're talented, right? So who should we trust in our lives, right? Yeah, we should trust ourselves, that we can make the right decisions, well, sometimes we don't know, right? I just, I just knew how to make a snake, right? So I had to go find it from somewhere else. So we come here to church. Why do we come to church? We worship, right? We praise God. We humble ourselves to him, right? We give. Does anybody give of their gifts and their talents and their time here at church? give our money, yeah? We learn, don't we? The songs that we sing talk about God's love, the message that Russ and Kevin bring, right? They talk about how we should live. How do we let God mold us? Do you have a prayer life? Do you pray to God? Do we do all the talking or do we sometimes wait and listen? See what he has to say, right? So allow God to mold you on your way back to your seats after we pray. You can pick a couple of your favorite colors there to remind you that you can allow God to mold you, okay? You can try and make something in the pews, all right? Bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, help us to allow you to mold us, to change us, to bend us to your will. Help us to share the love that you have for us with those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to stand and sing and praise our awesome God together.
for you and for me. 
Father, be with us today as we gather here to give praise and worship you. Be with those that can't be with us today, those who are home, those who are ill, in the hospital. Give them your power, your healing, your blessing. Today, as we gather these tithes and offerings, we would ask that you bless them and have us do with them what your will would have. Do them in a way that would honor you. And this we pray, amen. Thank you for that, Brian. Today, as uh, Dave already mentioned, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 18. If you guys want to go ahead and turn there. And while you are turning there, I'm going to start with a quote from another minister. I was actually going to say this later on, but I feel like it's fitting right now. Because Dave, he did a wonderful job of actually setting up the context. And uh, I'll, I'll say this quote here. It says, the pain of staying the same has to be greater 
than the pain of change in order for true change to occur. That's from a minister named Greg Fell. Sadly, that is how we are typically molded. Dave, again, did a wonderful job of showing us the ideal, what God would have to do with us. He would mold us and shape us to be more like him. But unfortunately, we live in a, a sinful, a corrupt world, and that's on top of already fighting the sin and corruption that is within us, as Paul has mentioned in his letters where he states that man is altogether evil. So we're already fighting two wars, <laughs> and yet God is wanting to mold us. And that's actually right where we jump in with Jeremiah 18. To give you some context here, uh, it's toward the end of King Josiah's reign. And King Josiah was a good king. If you guys reference back into Second uh, Kings, you'll find him there. You'll also find him in Second Chronicles, um, where he is mentioned. And he is one who actually tried to clean things up. And because of that, God's judgment is actually um, slowed down, so to speak. It's, it's delayed. But unfortunately, uh, King Josiah could only do so much on his own. And the kings before him had laid so much terrible groundwork of idolatry, sinful activity, um, of which I won't go into great detail. But with that said, then they are less than one generation away. Uh, Jeremiah actually sees the captivity of Israel by Babylon, Israel and Judea, because by this time they're two separate places, uh, by Ju uh, uh, Babylon, he gets to see it take place. And uh, so God is obviously talking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet of his. And uh, we get to see, and we're going to jump ahead actually into Jeremiah chapter 18 and see what God and Jeremiah are up to. And uh, to start off, Jeremiah is told to go to a potter's shop. And in verse 3, we'll catch up with him there. God gives Jeremiah an object lesson. Uh, and this is Jeremiah speaking. He says, Then I went down to the potter's shop, and there, was, there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, and it pleased the potter to make it. The creative process, as Dave mentioned again, I thought it was so great the way he brought that up, because the creative process, it is just that. It's creative. It's not something where um, you have a set, set of instructions and you have to follow those instructions to make whatever that thing may be occur. Like building a computer. I would not consider building a computer a creative process. You have your various components. You put them together. Hopefully, you don't break them in the process. And you turn it on, and hopefully it works. When I was being creative, even cooking, that's where I find myself being the most creative. I will cook something. And uh, I've gotten to know the kitchen well enough now. I know what's good with what, so to speak, at least in my small little wheelhouse. So if I want to make, you know, chicken tiki masala, I can do that. Or if I want to make, you know, chicken fried rice, I can do that. Or, you know, some comfort food. I make nacho tots, which are just delicious. And if you want to gain weight, you should definitely make those. Because <laughs> they are so good. Because you, well, I won't go into it. But just know they're really good. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, and I, nacho tots wasn't an, a, a recipe or something I was told how to make. I just thought, well, that's good. That's good. You know I mean? Sour cream, good. Cheese. Good. Taco seasoning in, in ground beef? Good. Tater tots? Good. Voila. Lots of good. <laughs> and I created this dish, 
and uh, it's, it's delicious, and uh, even making steak. You know, everybody has their own way they like steak made, and once I learned how to cook a steak the way that I like it, I don't like eating steak from anywhere else. And that's that creative process. Some of you may be artistic, and people could not make what you made because it was your own creativity, your God-given creativity. I once had a teacher that when I was taking an art class, I used to do a lot of drawing, and I, when I, I, would, I was in this art class, he would not allow us to erase anything. Erasing was not allowed. We just had to keep working with what we had. That was really difficult because it forced me to change my perspective about what the finished product was going to be. I wasn't allowed to say, well, you know, I don't like this, and just toss it. That potter, just real quick, the sidebar here from the actual thrust of the message, that potter didn't just throw the clay out. He started fresh, went back to molding it. And in that, God shares the next part. God shares his burden. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. That quote I mentioned earlier, I wanted to mention it right on because when we take the mentality of only changing when it's harder than not changing, we've got to ask ourselves the question, is God the one molding us? Or is this life molding us? Is the trauma of hardship molding us? It's very interesting in life. You can meet two people who have been through very similar circumstances. And one can be very content with life and happy. And the other one might be very angry and bitter. Because it's not about what's happened it's always about how we respond. With that said, God issues a warning because the Israelites have not been responding well. Uh, thus says the Lord, this is in verse 11, by the way. Thus says the Lord, behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. And we're going to get into more of what Israel was doing, but uh, for now, I want to acknowledge this for a second. The Old Testament, when taken at first glance, is always seen as, you know, the God of, you know, wrath and anger and judgment, and we're going to reiterate this later, but law was different then as well. See, we have a different structure of laws because the laws were intended to push them toward relationship with God. But when they didn't understand that concept, which many of them didn't, they made it about their works. They made it about the ritual and they made it about, most importantly, they made it about themselves instead of about creator God. So they took the value, and you can find this reference actually in Matthew or Romans chapter 1, but they, they took the value of God and they made it like the value of man. You don't have to turn to that reference in Romans chapter 1, but if you are taking notes, I highly recommend you jot that down and you read that later this week. Because their value structure had been changed. And because of that, what they identified with here in verse 11 was changing as well. And we're going to see that even more so now. The next part, we are going to ask ourselves, what were the Israelites up to? And we see that in 
Chapter 19, verse 4. Because they have forsaken me and have made this an alien place and have burned sacrifices in it to their gods, they have filled this place with blood of the innocent. In verse 5, it says they've built high places to Baal, burned their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. When we misplace our value, it's hard to recognize sin. Their value was in their own works and what they thought they needed to do to find success and happiness and favor and approval. You know, if I can be candid with you, and I'm already getting choked up about it. Uh, On a personal level, my mother and father divorced when I was four or five years old. And my father, God rest his soul, he's been gone since last year ago, last Christmas Eve. He was a raging man. He had his anger scale, instead of being between 1 and 10, it was between 9 and 10. And the only way he kept that down was with large amounts of alcohol. I love that man. But I tell you what, I was angry at him. I didn't even know I was angry. In my mind, I'd forgiven him. But in my heart, I was so angry. Because I wanted his approval. I wanted his love. And it completely changed how I interacted with people. And I didn't even realize it. Because I was so afraid of not having someone's approval. Especially those of men. Completely changed the dynamic. It wasn't until I finally came to recognize that, not just here, but also here, that I realized on a whole other level where my value was. See, I knew, I knew in here, and even a little in here, I knew my value was in God because God made me, He fashioned me in His image. Before I was made, he knew of me. And this is also in Jeremiah. If you guys go back to the beginning of the book, God speaks to Jeremiah about this. He also speaks to David about it in the Psalms. But God was very aware of the life I was going to live, and he was also very aware of the hardships I was going to face. Because they were by design. Sadly, though, instead of taking that perspective of design and having joy in life regardless of the circumstance, I did to some extent and some other people do to other extents, sometimes more, sometimes less. We let that mold us and shape us. When in reality, if we back back up, To verse 9 of chapter 18, God even refers to the idea of um, building us up, implanting us in him. Or in other words, he wants to be the one that makes us. And he wants to be the foundation that we are built upon. I mentioned the three types of law, just briefly earlier. Uh, especially in the Old Testament, we had moral law, civil, civic law, and ceremonial law. Now, the civic and ceremonial laws have changed drastically because of Jesus Christ. And even some of the moral laws that were in the Old Testament have also changed because of that. But more of the the true law, the absolute truth of who God is, those things do not change. And I say that because now we, I want us to look at, because obviously we're not Jews, we're Christians. We don't follow the Jewish law. 
So our sin is going to look different. We're not, obviously, we're not sacrificing babies to Baal. But there are babies dying in today's day and age. There are homes in decay in this day and age. There are young people who have no sense of identity or value in this day and age. And it breaks the Lord's heart. He cries out in verse 18. He says, as I already read, he cries out. He says, why? Why can't I be the one to mold you? You're in my hands. God is in control whether our perspective knows it or not. We can let the hardships of life mold us, but we are still in God's hands. So why don't we as Christians know that? Why doesn't the world know that? Well, it's an easy answer. It's about the law. And as we look at what we are up to, the moral law is a law of pursuit as it applies to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's how God is able to mold us. Pursuit equals change. Like I said with that quote earlier, it shouldn't be the trauma of life, the fact that life is more painful if we don't change, so we have to change, that shouldn't be the dynamic. We should be pursuing Jesus Christ in such a way that we are provoked by love to change. It should change our identity. It should change our character. You know, you, especially in high school, you know, there's all those labels, geeks and jocks. And, and obviously it's grown exponentially since I was in high school where you got, you know, you got like the emo kids. You've got the, the kids who like to wear animal costumes all the time. You know, it's just, I talk to my kids and my head spins. <laughs> But it's going on. And you have now also, you have identity politics, gender politics, however you want to, both those, sometimes there's overlap, sometimes there's not. But you have all of that mixed in there as well. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to value and identity. And we cannot bypass any of that unless we instill in ourselves That we have to be in pursuit of God. Because here's the dynamic of God, for instance, because I've been in this situation myself, so it's an, easy, it's an easy example. When I'm at the grocery store and I'm looking at the checker and I see she's in pain. And I say she because that was the instance in my, in my situation. I see she is troubled. I see she needs Jesus Christ. And I say nothing. I 100%, I guarantee you, may not say it in the Bible. There may not be any law written anywhere that said I was supposed to talk to her, but I know without a shadow of a doubt from the Holy Spirit bearing witness in my soul that I was supposed to talk to her that day, and I didn't. That's why we have to pursue God. If we cannot grasp and chase and run after and get a hold of Godly things through his word, through prayer, through being in this building right now and fellowshipping with one another, encouraging one another, challenging one another. If we cannot engage in that pursuit on a level where we are no longer on autopilot, because that's what happens when we don't pursue Christ, we're forced to make hard choices and sacrifices. Though in the moment, it may feel like we're an autopilot. Again, it goes back to that same scenario where life is changing us instead of God reaching through us to change the life around us. You know, I've used this, this example out of scriptures too many times probably. But you know, when it talks about in the Psalms of the cup overflowing, that's the dynamic. God wants to fill us so much 
that we are overflowing and spilling out onto the world around us. But that cannot happen if we are not in pursuit. Not only that, but then we will fall into sin. And I'm not talking about the laws, you know, the, the law, you know, thou shalt not murder. Well, I didn't murder anybody today, so I'm doing good. I'm a pretty good Christian. No, that's not what it's about. In, uh, and I wish I'd written down the reference in either t- one, one of the first or second Timothy or Titus, because I was reading through those this week. It even mentions the fact that the law isn't for Christians. The law is for those that are lawless. If we're Christians, we should be living at a higher standard than the law. Because we should be compelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Not by a list of rules and do's and don'ts. In Kim Meter's book, Revival Rising, she describes a perfect analogy of sin, especially when you consider the other quote I already gave you about change and how we only change when it's more painful than not changing. But she, uh, she and her husband, they go deep sea fishing. And they were deep sea fishing for halibut and uh, they were done for the day in the deep sea area. And halibut, by the way, they run about 100 pounds or more. But they were done for the day. They were heading back towards shore. The water was getting shallower. But they were still allowing people to fish, but they had to change the rod. Because for the halibut, you use this, as she puts it, a huge two-by-four of a fishing rod. You know, they were in shallower waters with smaller fish. You use a much smaller rod. So she had her rod with just a 10-pound line on it, and she was in the water. And the boat captain says, make sure not to get your your hooks caught on the ground because we're coming into a much shallower area. And sure enough, her line got caught right after he said that. So she's pulling and pulling and, well, finally she gets that line to come free and the line gets pulled away from the boat. That line was not caught on a rock, it was caught on a halibut. She had an at least 100-pound fish caught on a 10-pound line. So she told the captain, the captain stopped the boat, and they went back there, and just tiny turns, every so often, 45 minutes passed, and that halibut was right next to the boat, because it was just little things, you know, being at the checkout, the Lord calls you to do something, no, not today, the Lord wants you to read your Bible to your kids, or your grandkids, you think, ah, no, I don't have time for that. Lord says, why don't you pray with me? Pray to me tonight. So I'm so exhausted. I just have to sleep. Next thing you know, we're right next to that boat and life stabs us and pulls us out. And we feel without air. We feel like we're suffocating. And we wonder where it came from. Well, I can tell you where it came from. It came from sin. It came from not pursuing Jesus Christ. Last part, and then what should we do about it all? Well, first and foremost, same thing the Israelites needed to do. We've got to repent. And in the context of today's day and age, and in context of being a Christian, That word might feel more like just change. We've got to change our habits. We've got to change our attitudes. When God calls us to minister to the lady in the checkout, I've got to have a response. When God tells me to read my Bible aloud with my kids, i got to do it. When God calls me to stay up an extra however long in prayer, praying over a prayer list I've kept on my phone, I've got to do it because I've got to pursue Jesus Christ. Otherwise, that sin will overtake me. And it will overtake you as well. And my heart breaks at the thought of that. But secondly, then, we've got to pursue Christ, as I actually already said. But we say we, we have to pursue him for a very specific reason, because that's who we need to identify with. Our identity shouldn't be in the kind of car we drive. 
Our identity shouldn't be in the job we have. Our identity shouldn't be in our hobbies. All those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car, having a fun hobby. I love to play the drums. But I tell you what, if I've got time to play the drums, I've got time to give to the Lord. I've got to make that balance. So people, oh yeah, he's the drummer. I even, you know, I was in churches in the past where that's all I did. I just played the drums. Like, oh man, I love watching you play the drums. And in my heart and in my mind, I was like, you know what, I, I, I want more. And when I left that church even, they're like, why are you going? Like, well, you know, if I wanted to be a drummer for the rest of my spiritual life, I wouldn't leave. But I know God wants more for me. I've got to pursue him. And by doing so, I find my identity in Christ. I find my answers to life in Christ. I find my needs met by Christ. How many of you guys have your needs met by Christ today? You don't raise your hands, please. Because I know some of you feel like God is very far away, and you're wondering why. Well, we've got to back up. We've got to repent. And we've got to figure out what we need to do to pursue Christ better, and we will find that identity. And when we find our identity in Christ, and we are that cup that is overflowing, that is walking in the Spirit. When the Spirit of God is just pouring out of us as we walk through life, we are walking in the Spirit. God becomes the author of our thought life. He becomes the author of our heart life, what we're feeling. He becomes the author of our speech. And it all flows through love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, temperance. None of those things have any laws against them either which is a wonderful contrast because we are called to live that out by Jesus Christ and nobody can stop us from doing any of that. We can lean on our politics. We can be upset about this, that, and the other. It's not going to change anything. Donald Trump or Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, anybody, none of those people are going to change the hearts of your neighbor. None of them. No stimulus check is going to make that happen. No initiatives, policy initiatives is going to make that happen. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing through us, when we walk in the Spirit, that's where that change occurs. That's when lives change, when people aren't hurting, not because they're not in any hard times, because they will be, I will be, you will be, but because we have our identity solidly placed in Jesus Christ, and that is really all we need, no matter what happens. And life truly becomes about how we respond. What does God have for me in this moment in my cancer? What does God have for me in this moment when I broke my leg? When do, what does God have for me in this moment at the loss of my loved one? We've got to be repentantly in, in pursuit of Jesus Christ so that he can have full control. Nate, I'm going to hand it off to you. You can come up and give us a hymn of invitation. If this has struck any of you and you feel you need to make a change and you need to make a decision down here today, I'm here for you. If it's a change you feel you need to make privately, that's okay too. But you definitely need to share it with somebody and make it real today. Please stand and let's sing. Softly and tenderly 
Father, we ask that you give us the power to be the change that you would desire, to go out and help someone this week, going forward, help change them to see your way, your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.